A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr. Just before we get into this week's episode on the best in the world with Richard Parr, I want to tell you about Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding website which allows patrons to support creators. In other words, it allows people like you who listen to the best in the world with Richard Parr the chance to support our product and our project which is of course this podcast we are on episode 94 this week and to produce all of the other episodes takes a lot of work and we want to continue to do that but we need your help so that's why we're on the patreon website we're at patreon.com forward slash best in the world and there you have the opportunity to support our podcast from as little as one dollar a month of course if you'd like to give more thank you very much and there's added benefits and rewards for you if you do that they're all listed on that patreon page if you've already supported our podcast i really really appreciate it thank you so much for doing it it is helping our podcast and it's just great that you are showing your love to what we do all right that website one more time is patreon.com forward slash best in the world well on this week's episode i speak to brooke bennett the three-time olympic champion swimmer at the age of just 16 brooke won the 800 meters freestyle at the 1996 atlanta olympics an incredible performance Four years later in Sydney, she won two more goals in both the 800 metres, retaining that title freestyle, and also in the 400 metres freestyle. It was another incredible performance from Brooke, so it's an absolute delight to have her on this week's podcast. And as I speak to Brooke a little bit earlier in the year, she just had her second son. So we talk about childbirth and we talk about getting young children to swim early. And of course, Brooke has got her own swim academy. So we talk a little bit about that. But as we go through Brooke's career, she admits quite a lot on this podcast about growing up, about being a a child prodigy, becoming an Olympic champion at the age of 16. She talks about how some of the other children in her school would react and converse with her after she became Olympic champion. And she describes it in in some ways as a form of bullying. So it's something that is, is really important in life and is something that we cover here on The Best in the World with Richard Parr. The American also reveals the biggest influences on her career and also how she coped competing against those more experienced swimmers such as the legendary Janet Evans. Brooke also shares the changes she made in her training regime between the 1996 Games and the 2000 Games. And we cover a lot, including Brooke's bucket list. What is on her bucket list? What does she want to achieve next? And guess what? You can find that out right now as we speak to the three-time Olympic swimming gold medalist. It's Brooke Bennett. The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr.
Brooke Bennett, welcome to The Best in the World with Richard Parr. Of course, we're going to talk about your amazing career as a swimmer, but you've had another life-changing moment very recently. You've had a, another son. Congratulations. How's it been the last few weeks for you? Oh, it's fantastic. Um, yes, my son is um, six weeks old today. Um, so I'm, I'm remembering very quickly about the sleepless nights that I had with my first son, who's now two and a half. But um, every time you hear him fuss or it's ready for a feeding, you just smile and go, my gosh, how can I, how can I love something so much so quickly? You know, it's just like instantaneous. You hear the first cry and like, oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, I've read a, a lovely quote from your, from your father just before you, just after you had your first son where he said, um, you've won three Olympic gold medals. You've swum the 24 mile Tampa Bay marathon. But none of that compares and is as, as, as impressive oh. of what, what he's seen you've done over the last nine months. Just how <laughs> how tough can it be having a baby for, for those of us who've never done it or, or for us men who will never have to go through it? Um, I, I mean, it, it is, and I, I, have all, I am not one that has en- that enjoyed my pregnancies. Um, I have friends that walked through pregnancy and loved it. And I know women that have been surrogates or would be, I, I'm two and done. Um, we're not having any more. Um, my first pregnancy, I was put on bed rest at 20 months or 20 weeks, excuse me, 20 weeks. So that was challenging in itself, especially being an athlete your entire life. And then you are told, um, you're pretty much in bed and at home and can't do anything. Um, you know, my second pregnancy, luckily enough, I didn't go on bed rest. I swam really up until about 36, 37 weeks with him and was able to work. So that was a blessing, especially with a tod- a very active toddler. Um, but I struggled. Um, my husband, uh, always loves me and is, and, and is great and, and loves me dearly and treats me like a queen. Um, but he, he said me pregnant is just something that he is so glad to be over and done with that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and do you have, uh, two potential Olympic swimmers on the cards or maybe some other athletic pursuit? Do you think? Yeah. Um, you know what? I, you know, actually my son, I put him in the water for the first time yesterday a six week old. Oh, wow. Um, and we splashed around a little bit. My, um, older one was in the water at about the same time. And, um, I actually swam for the first time since, um, giving birth to my son, um, yesterday. And my toddler was with me in the water the entire time. So he is a water baby and a fish. Um, it is very important that my kids learn to swim. Um, that's actually what I'm doing as a profession now is a swim academy, but, um, you know, are they going to be competitive swimmers? It's too early to tell. Mm. Um, and plus, we're up against the battle. My husband is a um, high school teacher and also a high school football coach, um, played collegiate um, football, coaches high school football now. So, of course, everybody that knows us is going, all right, so what's the battle in the household? Are they swimmers? Are they football players? Truthfully, we we don't know. Um, we certainly want to expose them to sports, and we both 100% agree that having kids um, in sports is important to us as an extracurricular activity to their education. Um, but then again, we don't know what they're going to choose. But we're gonna, you know, we're gonna expose them to as much as we can, and then kind of let them choose um, as they as they get older. When they do make that decision, do you think there comes a, a point in time, and I'm, I'm talking more in general here, not necessarily your own mm-hmm. children, is there a point in time where they then do need to commit to one sport if they do want to be ultimately very successful in it? You know, that's such a tough question um, because you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of studies, and you can read a lot of things, and then of course people have a lot of opinions about allowing kids to try multiple sports, and they shouldn't specialize in a sport so early on that it could be too much pressure and too daunting on them. Um, I think it's I don't think you can say one way or the other. Um, I 
let's use myself for an example. Um, I peaked in my career very early on. I was very young through the height of my career and I swam. That was my sole sport from the time I was, you know, nine years old. I did triathlons for a very limited time. Um, I did synchronized swimming because my first swim coach was the synchro coach and they needed an extra person. And that didn't last. My mom asked me constantly if I wanted to try other sports, gymnastics, dance. I had no interest. I I was in swimming and that was the sport for me and that's what I did. And looking back, I don't I don't feel like I missed out on anything. Um, now my husband, he did baseball, soccer. Um, he actually didn't play football until he was a junior in high school. Two years of football got him a scholarship to play in, in college. Um, I, I think you have to let your kids choose. And they may fall into a sport very early on that they love and they that's what they want to do. And they may say, Mommy, Daddy, I don't want to do anything else. Um, and then to also say you look at sports and, and how competitive sports are and every sport, every athlete is, is using a specialist to work on strength, stroke techniques, skill, whatever it is. And so we know across the board, sports are becoming more competitive. And if, if kids are pushing themselves harder and harder, then they probably are specializing in a sport much earlier um, than, than what we've seen in the past. So I just don't think you can say it's, it's right or wrong one way or the other. It's the, the, the child and the athlete has to kind of choose that on their own. I don't think I, as a parent, can tell my son, you can only swim and that's the only sport you're going to do. Um, I think I have to let them choose it, even if it's a sport that I don't desire. Mm. You, you said you were, you, you pretty much was taking up from, from about nine. And obviously you, you became an Olympic champion at the age of 16. Was there a year, was there a moment where there was a transition where it stopped from being kind of a hobby and, and relatively competitive to this is almost other than studying a full-time job? Um, I mean, I was, I was devoted and I was, I, I begged to start morning practices. I, I was going two days a week before school at the age of 10. Um, and, and I basically begged my coach to allow me to do that. And, the requirement was as long as my schoolwork didn't suffer, I wasn't falling asleep in class, you know, that my coach and my parents would allow me to continue it. Um, I was a very hyperactive child and swimming was the outlet. That's how I got into swimming in the first place because my, my mother needed something for me to burn excess energy and it's hysterical, the conversations that my mom and I have to this day about my my older son, because he is a ball of energy. And I take him to the pool. My husband takes him. He's at football practice with my husband right now. Um, we have to do those things in order for him to not be bouncing off the walls and jumping off the couch and jumping off the chair. And that is exactly what I was and exactly the stories that my parents tell me. And my two and a half year old is now I'm living it. <laughs> <laughs> what I did to my parents, I now get. So that story of having kids and, Oh, just wait, it comes back at you. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that to be true. Uh, what goes around comes back around. <laughs> um, yeah. It's twofold then. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, but for me, I mean, I qualified for my first junior nationals at the age of 12. And um, the summer that I was 14 was when I qualified for world championships. Um, so, you know, as an early teenager, it was a full time job, per, if you could, if you can call it that, yes, on top of my schoolwork, I was training um, six days a week at that point in time. Did it ever become overwhelming? Because, you know, just looking at your accomplishments, the, the thought of being an Olympic champion at the age of 16, and I, I want to mm -hmm. talk about Atlanta separately, but 
That is such an amazing achievement. And I think nearly everyone listening to this podcast will go back and they'll think, oh, what was I doing at 16? And, and half the time they won't remember and, and half the time uh, it won't be anything near what you were doing. Did, were you able to take it in? Was it overwhelming? Or was it because of this working six days a week routine that you, you didn't even sometimes notice what was going on? I, I You know, I think it's a little bit of everything. Um, I, I, you know, I all have always said going back and looking at my, you know, Atlanta win, um, I don't think I completely was able to absorb and wrap my head around what was happening because I was only 16. Um, I, I was fully aware of, you know, the sacrifices that I was making, especially as I got into high school and was training that much, you know, you didn't, you, you, you didn't have too much of a social life. Um, you, you made sacrifices along the way. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't, you know, have my hair done every day in high school because I was coming from swim practice and I had 15 minutes to get ready from morning practice to the time I got in the car and then was shoving food in my mouth to, to get out and to start school. Um, you know, so, you know, a lot of things that I think teenagers and and teenage girls are going through was just kind of, it passed me over. I wasn't interested in, in hair and makeup and, and too much of that kind of stuff because, you know, I was jumping in the pool after school. (laughs) It didn't really matter. Um, but you know, I, I've always said the sacrifices were worth it. The experiences and the accomplishments that I I have and that I can look back, um, you know, I, I cherish and they were perfect for me. It was, it was, it was a perfect, um, you know, teenage life for me. I wasn't, you know, I missed high school prom. I missed high school graduation. Um, but I, I, at 37 years old, I'm okay with that. I'm okay. I don't look back and go, I, I wish I wouldn't have made that decision. Um, and, and to me, that's the most important thing. Mm, I think I'd rather have three Olympic gold medals rather than a picture at a prom, um, if I'm honest. Um. <laughs> and who likes their prom pictures anyways? I mean, it's funny because um, my high school, we, we really didn't, my class didn't really plan a 10-year reunion, but we've, we've just, my class has just planned our 20-year high school reunion to happen next year. Um, and, uh, it's, it's just so funny. And of course, Facebook, you know, it just brings everybody together and I, it's just, um, you know, it's exciting to kind of see that and go, oh my God, I graduated high school 20 years ago. I can't believe it. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, who likes their prom picture? Who likes their picture in their yearbook? But, you know, I mean, three gold medals still look like three gold medals. Yeah. <laughs> During that era, who were your role models and and what was it about them that you looked up to? Um, well, my, my, my biggest role model and the, the biggest influence to my swimming career was my, was my grandfather. Um, and um, he, he just was a man of, of persistence. Um, you know, I think he, he could come across as being very um, hard on on his own kids he my mom had three sisters um and it it came across I think sometimes as being very stern and hard uh persistent yes um but for me it was it was just the drive um that he had and and just I think he's the one that saw my potential before any of us could even my parents and I always just you know he was kind of my hero and at the same time, um, my aunt, who I lost a year ago to breast cancer, um, was another one. She was going to school uh, to be a firefighter when women were were not firefighters and women were frowned upon in the fire department. And I remember her having a conversation with my grandfather that I overheard um, about her, her wanting to quit because she was not feeling accepted by the men um, that she was going to school with and, and starting to work with. And my grandfather just said to her, Michelle, is this what you want? Is this your passion? Is this your dream? And she, she said, yes. And he goes, well, then you don't quit. Mm. You, you strive and you show them that you you deserve to be fighting fire right next to them. And she didn't quit. 
And my, my aunt worked 30 years in the fire department and rose all the way up to being a captain. And I watched her, I watched her do this. And again, that was a, a conversation that I overheard as a, as a kid, probably 10 years old at the time, um, that always stuck with me, you know, and my aunt was, was the, the toughest, strongest female I think I've ever come across in my lifetime. The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr. We'll be back with Brooke in just a moment. Now, just a few months ago, I went to the Design Museum in central London. In fact, it was in Kensington, just south of Holland Park, if you want to know exactly. It was a really good museum. It was for free. It wasn't too big, but it gave some really interesting ideas and thoughts on just how important design is to every single thing that we do from what we're reading to what we're seeing to how we're interacting with products and everything like that and because design is so important we need to make sure that things look aesthetically beautiful and guess what 99 designs can do that for you they can help design a website or a logo or a business card or I think they even do banners And it's a product that I've personally used. And what they do is when you have an idea, they then offer it to talented freelancers all around the world. And you have a look at their ideas and then you decide which freelancers and which designers you want to work with to continue to improve your vision. So you together can create pretty much a masterpiece. It is a product I have used and I want you to be able to use it as well and I've got a special link for you to check out their service. Just go to sportachino.com forward slash 99 designs and one of the really good things about them is if you don't like what you see, what they've produced, you can get your money back. But the good thing is is if you do like it, if you do end up buying their product and you have gone through our link then you are also supporting our show as well because we get a little percentage of that fee so go and check them out 99 designs sportachino.com forward slash 99 designs all right let's return to the conversation with the olympic swimming champion it's brooke bennett the best in the world podcast with Richard Parr. Let's talk about Atlanta then and a lot of tough, strong women there you were competing against. Many Mm -hmm. of them could be five, 10, maybe even 15 years older than you. Being 16, now I've I've had lots of conversations and, and sometimes people talk about getting into a state of flow and I've had conversations where people have spoken to me about how when you're young, you just do it. You just do it without Mm -hmm. necessarily thinking. And actually later, uh, as your career progresses, you start analysing things too much and that can help lose your edge. When you're 16, what is going through your mind at an Olympic Games? Are you nervous because you're around all of these amazing, older, established athletes? Or is there a sense of a... I'm 16, I've been a national champion, I've beaten these people, I'm just going to come here, do my best, see what happens. You know, I just, I always, um, in every race, and it it didn't really matter if it was the Olympics or it it was um, nationals or it was just, you know, an in-season meet, I I think I approached every race the same, um, that I, I just had a sense of confidence about myself um, that I knew in my mind for me and for the sake of my training and my competing that I trained harder and tougher than my competitors. And that's what I had to tell myself. And that's what I told myself at every race. So even going into an Olympic games with a very veteran field, um, and, and racing, you know, against the two-time Olympic defending Olympic champion, Janet Evans, again, you know, I had the confidence in myself that this was my time and I had trained to be here and I had the confidence that I could beat anybody getting up on the block next to me. 
and um, I never felt intimidated by my my competitors. I was just ready to race, and I I loved I loved racing, and it and it didn't it didn't it wasn't about racing a name. It was just about getting up and racing, and and having the thrill to to race against other people that enjoyed racing probably as much as I did mm-hmm. and just putting it out there. That's really interesting. Now, do you then think, and this is probably two folds to this, to this question, when you were telling yourself that you were training harder, do you think the performance came just through the belief or did you actually train harder? And if you did, what do you think it was in your training that was better than the other people? Uh, my, my accomplishments. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, in the pool, um, we're always off of, off of my work ethic. I mean, I do not think that I am genetically the most talented, gifted swimmer. Um, you know, I, and I always say that you look at somebody like Michael Phelps, who, you know, has accomplished what he did, or you look at somebody that's still currently swimming like a Katie Ledecky, who to me, if I look at, if I'm going to say these two swimmers who are ba- both called the goat currently, you know, the greatest, the greatest of all time, basically Th- to me, those two swimmers have both. They are genetically gifted in the fact of their size, their power, and their strengths. And then they both have a work ethic that literally nobody can touch. But you look at myself and you put Katie Ledecky and myself next to each other, or like a Janet Evans, myself and a Katie Ledecky next to each other. And I, I think what made Janet and I great in our time, and this is me speaking, of course, not speaking for her, but what I see is that we both worked our tails off in the pool. We, we trained and we worked hard and we made, you know, our athleticism or our gifted talent of being, you know, five foot Janet being, I don't know, five, two or whatever, that's only going to get us so far. Um, but our work ethic had to rise above the rest, but to where you take a Katie Ledecky, who is what five ten and probably 30, 30 pounds of muscle stronger than me, you have a very talented, genetically gifted athlete along with their work ethic. And those make those athletes great. So for me, I, you know, in Atlanta, weighed like 110 pounds and was five, four competing against girls stronger, taller, bigger than me, but it had to be something that put me over the edge. So I always had to know that I did the practices 
and trained harder than anybody else. And, and what my coach and I did was proven to be some of the toughest workouts ever done by a female athlete. Mm. Well, it proved to work and you did become the Olympic champion. <laughs> and how was life initially afterwards once you'd won the gold medal? How was it for, say, the first six months or so? It was um, insanely crazy as a 16-year-old. Um, I was going back to, uh, quote, normal life. Um, I was going into my junior year of high school. And, um, you know, my coach had given me some time off. I kind of took about two months off of serious training. Um, he really said, you know, I don't expect you to see to see you at the pool. I want you to kind of enjoy life and get into high school and try to quote, be, be a normal 16 year old at that time. And, and it sounded great. And I, you know, I was ecstatic to start school. Um, I remember telling my mom, I, you know, I don't have to go to swim practice right after school. I can go do what a normal 16 year old does. What is that? I don't know what that <laughs> is, you know? Um, and so I was very excited. Um, but yet, I, I had to face something very different. Um, I had to face peers that didn't know how to accept me at that point. And I, and I struggled. Um, I, I would come home daily, um, you know, upset, crying, um, because I would tell my mom, I just, I just wanted to be treated normal. I don't want to have all of this surrounding me. And, and can we just make it go away? And, and unfortunately, you can't turn it on and turn it off. It just doesn't happen like that. You know, um, I, I wanted to go out Friday night. I wanted to go hang out with my friends. I wanted to, to go to a high school party. But it wasn't that simple. I was looked at it being different by my peers. But then I was also going to the mall with just some of my friends that could accept me as just being their friend meant going to the mall and, and being stopped by anybody and, and parents stopping me with their little kids wanting to get a picture of me with their kids. But yeah, I'm just at the mall with my 16 year old friend because we want to shop. So those types of things didn't happen in my life. Mm. And so when I wanted to be quote normal, um, I had to figure out what normal was and normal had to be in my own own book that I was never going to be kind of normal like my other classmates were. And there were classmates that didn't like me and, and had hatred towards me and, and didn't accept it um, and thought that I got special treatment. So there were, you know, it, I guess if you go to the popular word that we use today, um, I was, I guess I was bullied at some point in time, um, through my high school career. And, and so I was anxious to get back in the water because I used it as my outlet and it was the only way for me to get past it. And as soon as I started training again, then it really wasn't that big of a deal because I was just being normal for who I, who I knew normal was that I didn't have to try to fit into everybody else's world. I just had to fit into mine. Well, I'm I'm glad you you did because you know you've you've got, <laughs> <laughs> you've got everything to to show for it and and our fantastic family and and academy and everything like that. What did you did you do anything differently once once you did get back into the pool and and started working towards the 2000 games and again you went on to win two gold medals there. Did you do anything differently preparing for those games than what you did for Atlanta? Well, I, I think our goal was, you know, we wanted to make the 400 since I had missed that in Atlanta. And, you know, as I started getting older and maturing, you know, our focus was we started to work a little bit more speed, as much speed as I could work. Um, because let's just face it, I'm, I'm better as a distance athlete. And like, I, I'm drawn to the open water now. I still draw to the longer event. So 400 was the flat out sprint for me. But a lot during those four years, um, we focused more on my dry land training, um, just trying to get a little bit more strength on me. Um, you know, so like I said, I wasn't quite probably like 115 pounds in Atlanta. By the time we got to Sydney, I was just over like 120 pounds, 123 pounds. So again, we just tried to put a little bit more muscle and strength on my body so that I could 
um, could get that 400 time down to, to where, where I did. And for me, um, you know, I, I would have been happier if the 1500 would have been added, which it looks like finally into 2020, you know, 20 years after (laughs) 20 years after I competed in Olympic games, they finally add, they finally add a 1500 to the women's events. You know, I mean, world championships didn't even have the 1500 when I was swimming, which was, which, which was the bummer. And that's where I wish I could have taken my swimming career or, you know, if open water swimming would have been a thing 20 years ago, would I have teetered out of the pool and gone into open water swimming because I favored the events like the five and and 10 K. So from 96 to 2000, we, we focused as much as a speed work that I could get, um, into a distance athlete really to, to get that 400 and that 400 swim in Sydney. Um, I mean, if you want to pull something out of the magic hat, (laughs) um, I think for me, me winning that 400 still to this day, I go, that was just a perfect race on a perfect day at the perfect time. Um, for me, for, for me to have that type of, of speed, um, I, I still think is, is pretty impressive. Mm. You said you did work there to improve your strength. Now, was that, uh, was there anything related to do with diet there or was that all about the, the method of training? It was just training. I mean, my diet was seafood and eat it, um, you know, into the type of training that we were doing. And we had summer programs and summer weeks where we were doing 100,000 meters um, in a week of practice, you know, through 10 workouts. Um, so for, for me, um, it was my coach was constantly saying, are you eating enough? Are you getting enough calories in? Because obviously to get the, the weight and the muscle to stick on me was, was the challenging part. Mm, yeah, I can imagine. And then uh, 2001, your, your career kind of had quite a few problems, didn't it? With injuries to yeah. your shoulders, uh, just yeah. how frustrating was that period for you? Um, it was definitely frustrating. Um, and it was just something that we, we, I mean, the shoulder issues happened 97, 98, we through physical therapy and a great physical therapist and my coach and myself were able to obviously keep my shoulders healthy enough to swim through the 2000 Olympics. Um, but after that, um, my shoulders and body had had enough. And it was basically the determining factor from my surgeon, physical therapist, my coach, and myself was, are you going to continue swimming or are you ready to retire? And retirement wasn't even in, in my vision yet. So we went forward with the, with the surgeries to um, give myself the ability to, to continue to, to train. Um, and you know, we, we did a, a, a pretty darn good job, um, at recovering from two shoulder surgeries, um, in 2000, late 2001 to try to prepare for the 2004 trials. And unfortunately, you know, we just came up short. We, we came up very short. Um, but I remember the 800 and, and getting under 830 at trials and finishing third. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it, it sucked being third, um, it was very hard for me and I don't think I watched and followed very much of the Olympic games in Athens because it was very painful for me. But at the same time, I told my coach, you know, if we're not looking at the place, we're looking at the time and the type of training that I, I had under my belt. Um, that was, that was an impressive swim mm, yeah. for me to get in. And I think that, you know, looking back, I go the shoulder surgery was the right thing to do. I mean, like you said, I swam a 24 mile marathon swim back a few years back. Um, I have a couple of things on my bucket list now that I'm done having babies um, <laughs> that, you know, I want to accomplish before I turn 40. And I, I, I think without those surgeries back in 2001, um, there's, there's a lot of things that I still do and, and things that I want to accomplish that I, I wouldn't be able to do because my shoulders just wouldn't allow me to do it to where now they're healthy. Okay. What's on the bucket list, Brooke? Well, um, I, I would like to um, do a run a marathon. 
which is daunting and most, probably one of the most challenging things that I'm going to have to do because I'm not a runner and I kind of despise running, but I need to run a marathon to mentally know that I can, I've done a marathon because I would like to um, complete and finish a full Ironman. Oh, wow. So um, crazy. Um, yes, probably one of, and probably going to be the toughest training I've ever done because it's completely out of my wheelhouse. Yes. Um, my husband and my dad think I'm crazy and, um, I do want to get back into open water swimming and the marathon swims. And I would like to, uh, complete the triple crown. So English channel, Manhattan and Catalina. Whoa. Well, I, I think you can do yep. it. Um, <laughs> that's that's amazing. And it it is interesting. One of the great things about this podcast is speaking to people who have tried different sports. Like I think it's Kaylee Gilchrist, the water polo player. She just won gold at 2016 Rio Olympics. She's now trying to reach Tokyo surfing. I've also spoken to... Oh, okay. um, uh, Anna Tunnicliffe who won Olympic gold in sailing and she's now I think top 10 in America at CrossFit as well so wow it, it, it is yeah. an interesting what what do you think can help you with a marathon from what you've got from swimming uh, other than say good lungs are there any transferable skills that you think you might have to uh, approach this I, you know what? Um, no, I, I, because I'm always one to say that it's very hard to transfer what you do in the water to a land sport. Um, you know, cycling and running obviously build what you can do in the pool, but what I do in the pool, is that going to translate much to running a marathon or getting on a bike for a hundred plus miles? No. Um, I will tell you, um, and what my closest friends, my husband's friends tell me um, that I, that they just foresee me as being tough as nails and that if you put your mind to do something, then nobody's going to stop you. Um, one of my very good friends who played in the National Football League for um, 13 plus years um, just says you have, uh, there's, there's a, a lot of, um, like dog, like you're just a dog, like you've just got a lot of fight in you. Um, and I think that is my best foot forward in being able to, to accomplish these things on my bucket list that I just won't stop that. I just am, am tough enough to say, it's not going to be easy. It's I'm going to be miserable doing it. It's going to feel awful, but I, I thrive on that. I have a sickness. I mean, I really, really do. I, <laughs> I have a sickness for putting my body through something like that. Um, I, I can remember being in my 24 mile swim and we had horrible conditions that day, but they decided to do the race. Anyways, we had four to six foot seas. My kayakers were in the boat for a period of time because they could not stay upright. They were getting tipped and knocked over. My husband was on the boat we were just recently started dating. So he's looking at this woman in the water going, what am I getting myself into? And he's yelling at me on the boat and telling me, am I eating my food? Am I chewing? And I'm looking at him like, yes, I'm chewing my food, but I can't feel my tongue. Mm. Like, you know, type <laughs> of thing, because I've been in the water for 10 hours, um, you know, to getting out of the water and just feeling like my lats were going to rip off of my ribs because they were so sore. <laughs> But I mean, you get out and like, I, I was just like a simple sense of accomplishment. It was amazing to me that I actually put my body through that. So for me, it's like, what is, am I trying to maybe find my breaking point? I guess I don't, I think that's just what's in my head. Like, what is my breaking point? <laughs> mm. I think you'll find uh, a, a documentary that a, a friend and former colleague of mine, uh, Andy Richardson, made for Al Jazeera. It's called Why We Run. And he was trying to do mm -hmm. his first marathon and he decided to do it in the Antarctic. And oh, good. Yeah. Gracious. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's beautifully shot and he travels to Kenya to speak to their 
uh, marathon runners. He travels to New York. He travels to Chile and, and does a half marathon around oh. a volcano or something. And it all ends up with him doing his first ever marathon in uh, in, in the Antarctic. It's it's incredible. So I'll try and put, uh, send yeah. you a link to it because it's it's really yeah. really interesting. So we'll wrap up now. I know we've run a little bit over time, but I want to talk about your swim academy. How's that been going? And and, and what is really the goal of this academy for you? Oh, it's a passion. You know, um, I I think it's where everything for my life has come full circle. Um, And I've heard a lot of moms, I hear a lot of moms say this, you can accomplish things and do things in life, but becoming a mom just kind of like, kind of wraps it, wraps it up and, and kind of brings everything together. You know, I think getting, you know, meeting my husband, you know, things like that, starting a family together. Um, I don't think that there's, you know, looking at three Olympic gold medals and then becoming a mom, kind of like what my dad said is, is very true. Um, and, and that's when the Brooke Bennett Swim Academy kind of came into fruition and flourished. Um, when I was on bed rest with my first son, um, I had just finished working five years in sports broadcasting, um, and I was stepping away from that because I just, I, it, it, it was a, it was a great job, but it wasn't a career and it wasn't something that made me happy. Um, and I wanted to be, be there for my kids and I wanted to have kind of the flexibility to, to work and be, be a mom. And so I started building the program and obviously living in Florida my entire life, I know the importance of, of swim lessons and, and making your kids water safe and, you know, doing something to prevent drowning, drowning for our, our families to where I live. And um, I also looked at Florida swimming as a whole. And I, I looked at where Florida swimming used to be. Um, in the 80s and 90s. And then I was looking at where is Florida swimming today, you know, in 2014, 2015, when I was writing this. And um, I felt like swimming needed a boost in Florida. And the easiest and best way to do that is to expose kids um, to the sport of swimming young and A, get them in the water when they're babies, um, because that is their natural environment. I put my son in the water yesterday at six weeks old. What is what is your baby in for nine months? They're water, water babies. And and studies have been shown the longer you keep your child out of the water, we we lose our natural instinct to save our life. And when we're teaching babies and children to swim, to become water safe, we are just teaching them an instinct. So if you put them in the water when they're itty bitty, you grab on to that natural instinct that they have to be in the water and to know what to do, which is roll over and float on their back. Hmm. And so we, we put our, our babies, we bring people into the Brooke Bennett Swim Academy at three and four months old, and we basically get them ready to go to a swim team. So I'm not, I'm not coaching. I'm not, you know, doing another program. I'm not standing on deck as, as a, you know, quote coach. We're just basically trying to build from the bottom up onto our swim teams to get more kids to see swimming as a sport. You know, they, a lot of times we get those families, they get them water safe and then we never see them again because they go on to gymnastics, they go on to soccer, they go on to baseball, but now we can teach them and, and flourish them into seeing swimming as a sport and we get them into the swim teams in the area and we then can create a stronger Florida swimming as a whole to get more of our athletes out of Florida making Olympic teams. And that was the whole purpose of Brooke Bennett Swim Academy. Fantastic. It sounds incredible. It's been absolutely inspiring to learn about that, Brooke, and it absolutely inspiring to learn from you on today's program. Just before you go, why don't you let us know where we can learn more about your Swim Academy and also where we can continue to follow your journey on social media, please? Absolutely. Um, I am on um, Twitter as Brooke Bennett. Uh, Brooke Bennett Swim Academy can be found online. Our website is bbswimacademy.com. Um, we are on Twitter, BB Swim Academy there. 
Um, and we are also on Facebook, um, BB Swim Academy on, on Facebook. You can learn all about the swim program and follow through my journey, of course, as I got back in the water yesterday and I start training for my marathon and Ironman. I will make my, my journey very public so people can live through my pain and torture. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, all the best with that. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and thank you for being the best in the world. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr. I think we'll all agree another swimmer has knocked it out of the park on this week's Best in the World with Richard Parr. Brooke Bennett, an absolute delight to speak to. And I could probably make a massive list of the amazing swimmers that I've spoken to. I'll mention a couple of the others who I think you should go back and listen to. Natalie Coughlin. Rebecca Sony, Stephanie Rice, Tom Shields, Nathan Adrian, Nick Gillingham. There's others I probably haven't mentioned in there, but they're all on the archives. They're all wonderful interviews. Go to acast.com forward slash best or sportachino.com or they're all on iTunes. Go back to the archives and listen to those podcasts because there are things there which whether you're a swimmer or not, you'll be able to improve your sporting ambitions or just your everyday life. And if you don't even like swimming, we've got other podcasts which you'll appreciate as well, from the world of cliff diving to cricket to rugby to athletics, you name it, we've got you covered on The Best in the World with Richard Parr. And I'll be back with you next week with another Olympic champion, world champion, world record holder, or world number one. But until then, I hope you have a wonderful week. Goodbye. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.